welcome back, Padawans, to the Wannabe Jedi Podcast. I'm Nate. Not your host. And I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Josh. <laughs> and uh, we brought back Nate again for another one of our infamous uh, special episodes around The Mandalorian, Chapter 11, The Heiress. To be honest, when I saw that name, I was like, okay, who do we know that's like kind of the heir that could be back? And, and I was really stumped. I, I definitely did not think it was Bo-Katan until Bo-Katan appeared. And then I freaked out and I spammed Josh with about 10 texts saying, Josh, yes. Josh, Josh, big thing happens <laughs> 10 minutes in, Josh. <laughs> it was it was either Bo-Katan or Sabine Wren uh, with, with that. And I was hoping it was Bo-Katan for reasons that I can get into in a little bit. I was very happy. Yeah. As was I. And I'm surprised that you were very happy, Matt, considering that you did not like another previous character introduced to the Mandalorian. Boba because Fett. he was he was dead. <laughs> in, in my like I understand that they bring him back in Legends and everything, but I feel like if you're in a yeah. Sarlacc pit, I mean, he did have Beskar armor, but the Beskar armor I I feel like wouldn't win, you know? Yeah, in the novel Aftermath, one of the uh trio which is like canon between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, they describe Boba Fett as like the uh, outside the Sarlacc pit. They had like this armor, which was like Boba Fett's armor that was beat up, very acidic, and and I guess they it's another time that Disney has like overruled the book that they've made canon. It's like interesting because the Ahsoka Tano, uh, the Ahsoka book, they kind of overrid with the conclusion of the Clone Wars, but in, in this case with The Mandalorian, they overrid that kind of aftermath novel with Boba's armor it, being kind of... It's the Force. It's the, the Force. You know, okay. It's the Force. It's, it's interesting that you bring up Ahsoka because, you know, reasons we'll get into, you know, later. <laughs> very, very quickly, yeah. Yeah. This episode was a heck of a time, let me tell you. I enjoyed mixed. it. I, I enjoyed it as well. I'm I'm interested to see where this goes because, you know... oh So season one of The Mandalorian was really good at raising stakes throughout the episodes, but not as mm-hmm. good at raising complexity. There were very, you know, simple, like, one-offs. And you had, like, the same thing where he's trying to protect the child and, and he's going off and, you know, freeing this prisoner or, you know, robbing this thing or whatever. But... This season seems to be fo- more focused on raising complexity. You've got a longer arc of him, you know, kind of getting to the bottom of a mystery of finding the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. But it's not as good as at raising stakes. In the first season, yeah. we had, you know, this sort of constant threat that the Guild or whoever, or the Empire, or whatever, is going to come after, um, is going to come after the child. And and you know, we don't have that as much. We've got, you know. Mr. Evil Empire Man showing up in hologram form this time, and that's kind Gideon, of it. Yeah. But yeah. in Gideon, future yeah. in future episodes, I want to see him raise the stakes. Are are you are either of you familiar or fans of a small independent, not well known film series called Indiana Jones? Yes. <laughs> um, in in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the villain is this. Rival archaeologist, Nazi collaborator named Belloc. Yep. And he's genuinely like a very conniving, terrifying person. And that's the feeling I got from Gideon at the end of season one. It was like, oh, he's kind of a scary dude. And then he has the Darksaber, which is an excellent Chekhov's gun. Um, but in this, he shows up in hologram form and he reminds me more of the villain 
from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is just like sort of there. He's just sort of like being the villain. He's not really, you know, he's kind of a blank slate. So it's it's a it's more it's more like if I remember the Last Crusade well, mm-hmm. which I like to think I do, it was more of an internal battle than it was an external battle. Especially yeah. at the end where he had to choose to save. Do, does he save his dad or you, all yeah. of that? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's where we're kind of leading is this internal battle for Mando, which it kind of set itself up in that we saw Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians take off their helmet. And that's when he's like, what? What is this? Only to find out that they are true Mandalorians and that the Mandalorian sect. Yeah. Yep. That the sect that he joined is not like these religious zealous and he still believes that they are correct but i think Mm -hmm. that he's in for this culture shock what does he do because i I can't imagine this is the last we see of bo katan no no the the sort of fish out of water existence you know metaphor the metaphor of being a fish out of the water water, (laughs) yeah that that sort of thing you know it gets milked a lot in television and i feel like they can they can pull a lot of good story threads out of it and i i hope that bo katan comes up Later, And I'm sure that she will because I mentioned that possibly, you know, the most significant Chekhov's gun in the entire series is the Darksaber. Um, and she specifically yeah. asks about it this time around. I would have preferred her just saying, hey, where is it? Because, you know, we, the audience, know that she's referring to the Darksaber and there's a little bit of, you know, tension there. But she, she specifically is like, hey, where's the Darksaber? And I was like, ah, okay. I think it might have been a tie-in for for the more casual fan that maybe maybe they didn't watch all of the Clone Wars. I, I know that there's people that don't believe in the animated series, so maybe that was a way for them to get the knowledge on what the dark saber is a little bit and and the backstory with how it was rightfully Bo Katan, Katans, Katans, yeah. Rebel in Rebels, Sabine gave the dark saber yep. to Bo, so. That's why she's trying to find it. I, the story, the question is, how did she lose the dark saber? Like, I hope, I, I'm pretty sure will come up. You know, Moff Gideon will give like a backstory, long synopsis mm-hmm. of what happened. I guess on the the night of a thousand tears. Yeah. Maybe try to recruit Mando. We could yeah. maybe see <laughs> yeah. him try to recruit Mando to his cause. I hope that that backstory doesn't come through like a single monologue it's gonna be an entire episode where they like throw it back basically and they they try to animate all the live action characters to look younger and stuff like that and it just doesn't look (laughs) right that's where we're headed uh, i think either way the dark saber will come back do do both of you know what i'm talking about when i call it a chekhov's gun yes Mm -hmm. for the listener out there for the listener out there chekhov's gun is a concept in dramatic writing where it's like if you're watching a play like a drama where characters are arguing and there's, you know, tension and all that kind of stuff. And there is a gun on the mantle above the fireplace in the background. At some point in the play, that gun is going to be fired, perhaps in anger, perhaps in confusion, whatever. But there's no point in having it there if it's not going to be used. That's why I call the Darksaber, you know, the most significant Chekhov's gun of the series. It's because you can't just have it and then not bring it you know, bring it into significance. Yep. And that's what they did with this episode. And I was super happy that they tied it in. And also that they actually got Katie Sackhoff to play Bo-Katan because Katie Sackhoff yeah. is amazing. But that's, that's a, <laughs> she did a really good job with it, yeah. which is something yeah. I wanted to highlight was I think that they, from, from looking at the animated series mm-hmm. to bring her to live action, 
I thought they personality was there. It, it, it there wasn't it, it didn't skip a beat. You know, like it mm-hmm. it was such a seamless transition that I I was very impressed with the casting. She does do the voice of Bo Katan in, in the animated series, but she's also a very yeah. talented actress. She is mm-hmm. one of the main characters, Kara Thrace, in possibly my favorite uh, sci-fi show of all time, Battlestar Galactica. And if any of our <laughs> viewers out there are hungry for more sci-fi i would wholeheartedly recommend it and her performance in that show and i'm excited to see more of bo-katan as the series goes on yeah yeah one thing i noticed was her costume design and it was really really cool i mean it it matched perfectly it matched perfectly and it really really fits well i'm really excited to see ahsoka come up uh in the next couple episodes if maybe matt and i were talking about this it's either going to be like next episode or it's going to be like a whole journey like like last season there's there is no chance that it comes up next episode and this is where josh and i disagreed yeah i think you have dave filoni directing what is that the sixth episode fifth episode Mm -hmm. uh i can't remember which one i'd have to look it up to be to be sure yeah. I, I don't see a world where Ahsoka doesn't appear with the Dave Filoni episode yeah. that, where he directed it, you know? You're not wrong. Because his understanding of... of Ahsoka. The, of, well, not just that, but the, you know, the ins and outs of motivation and character building in this universe is just, I mean... Phenomenal. Supreme. Absolutely. To say the least. To say the least, phenomenal, yeah. 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 That does lead me to a question, though, that I have for you guys. Mm-hmm. So... Where does this take the series? We know that his now new mission is to go find Ahsoka. He knows where he has to travel to. What would ha- like? How do you see the series unfolding here? I see him getting sidetracked and getting attacked because he still doesn't have a complete ship at this point. Yeah, they'll spend at least an episode on that. And if the earliest Ahsoka will show up is at the end of the next episode, just if we're pacing mm-hmm. this, if we're pacing this reasonably. Mm-hmm. But after that, I this kind of resets the registers, right? Because I didn't expect Bo-Katan to show up until episode five or six. And then Ahsoka, I thought, would be the end of the season. So, yeah, she could show up as, at, at the earliest at the end of the next episode. And that's something that's very exciting to me. I'm you know, but um, I'm getting more pumped for the Ahsoka because I just have a funny feeling we're also going to get Sabine and we're going to get that discussion. We might... I doubt we'll see Ezra, but I kind of hope that they found Ezra somehow and that we can hear that story of it. But I don't I don't think they're going to go that route. There's there's just so many like pieces that you can connect here. If if Ezra is brought in, he'll be brought in like in a in a conversation piece like the Mandalorian will be yeah. like, "Here Ahsoka, I have this child Jedi who, you know, is, you know, he doesn't really fully understand his force powers yet. And Ahsoka will be like, "I met someone like that once." Ezra. <laughs> yeah, you know, it'll it'll be some something that doesn't mention him by name but you know the viewers will know that it's indeed indeed him where we could we could find out all of these questions i but that also means that baby yoda could have been at the jedi temple when kylo ren and the knights of ren appear and that just makes me sad so i don't want to think that yeah <laughs> i don't i don't want those thoughts can we, can we, going through my head. Can we talk about one <laughs> thing is, uh... that i noticed sure. in the episode which was like the planet they were on and we've seen the planet before and the planet is Moncala, right? No, it's not. It's, it's not. Uh... No, no. But th- this is where some Corin and Moncala Marty. Moncala Marty. It starts with a T. Oh. I don't it's, it's like a mo- the uh... exact name. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's with like aquatic life. Okay, so it's like not Moncala, but it it reminded me of Moncala because the the Corin and the Moncala live. 
Mori were both there. Yeah, yeah. and of live... course the the but... corn are, are not trustworthy, and the yeah. Mon Calo are all like, <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, I mean the Mon Calo Mori. Uh, did he really? Was he really that trustworthy? I, you saw how he repaired that yeah. shit. That was pretty weak. That was, that's, that's true. <laughs> that was not a, every for a thousand credits. Be Admiral Akbar. That's true. So. True. Or Admiral Radis. <laughs> I do have a question though. So, who was the lady figure in the cloak at the start of the episode? That's a good question, and I. I and when does she appear? Because I think it'll be next episode that she comes back in. But what? Sabine Ren. Who is she? That's not Sabine Wren. <laughs> I, I actually, in, in the split second that I saw, I thought that it might have been Bera Sophie from, from Clone Wars. That's what I kind of thought, too. I don't think it is, though. How old um, would she be? She would be very old at this point. I, I have no reason to believe that she's alive. However, if we're introducing Ahsoka, it makes sense for if, if you're going to give Ahsoka any character building to introduce Barris as well. You can kind of have that old enemies reunite kind of thing for a common goal. Um, it's possible that Barris will, if it is indeed Barris, that Barris will try to influence the child to, you know, the the further into the dark uh, side of the Force. Um, but that's all assuming that it is Barris. Um, that was in the two seconds that I saw her at one in the morning when I was watching this. That's what I thought. Yeah. It felt too young. too young of a character. Yeah. yeah, but we could be wrong. I, I'm I don't I'm not the only person that generally looks like this like that character that we've seen in the Star Wars universe is as you were saying, Barris. Uh, Luminara is because they're the same uh, yeah, she, species. She's for sure dead thanks to Rebels. But she's for yes, yes yeah. yeah. But she's for sure dead. But that that was a heck of a thing, and I love the little details in in this. Yeah, I, a couple of things that I really like detail wise. A couple of story beats that they really hit very well. They really, when they're taking over the Gazanti freighter, these Mandalorians and uh, Bo-Katan fight very elegantly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they, you know, you can kind of see, if you rewatch that scene, Mando is kind of like lagging behind and kind of like looking at them because they just like can't, they just take care of business and they're like a well-oiled machine. And it's very similar, <laughs> I think, to the way you can compare original trilogy lightsaber fighting with Luke, which is kind of very like brash and brawly to like the very elegant lightsaber fighting in the old Republic, you know, with like Jedi at the prime. Mm -hmm. This is like Mandalorians at their prime versus, you know, Mando who's very brash. And we see that when he just charges forward with the grenades, you know, he, he's able to come up it, with it a solution. It did work technically. Don't. It did. It yeah. did work. So that was, that was one of my fantastic little favorite things. One of the things that I didn't like is uh, it did feel short. Uh, at the end, I was like, oh, it's over, you know? And I feel as though they're... It was only a 34-minute episode, to be fair. And, a, like, a good two minutes or three minutes of that is yeah. credits. credits. It was a shorter episode. You, you, you aren't wrong about that. It was the shortest episode that they've created so far. I felt, as far as pacing goes, that you know there might have been something that was originally in the middle that was cut out. So he meets the Mandalorians on the boat. He flies off of the boat. And then the next shot is them flying off the boat. But it's like nighttime, and they blow it up. Uh, and then he gets cor cornered by the corn, who's like, you killed my brother. Prepare to die. My name is Inigo Montoya. And, <laughs> and then the Mandalorians come in and, and save him, right? So he's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you on the boat. They show the boat blowing up, but it's later. And then they save him, and he's suddenly like, fine, I'll have a drink with you. That was kind. It felt kind of rushed, and it felt like a story beat or two was 
kind of cut out in the middle there. Possibly like an earlier draft of the script had some other event occur. Yeah. But it's not mm-hmm. necessary to the story. And, you know, it's a television show. It's a weekly television show on a budget. So I can understand if something was cut out, it would be cut out there. And I can understand that. It's just... Um, also, it probably... I mean, just being with the times, it could be related to COVID. Maybe they couldn't reshoot some yeah. things that they might have wanted to, so they just had to opt to cut it. Yeah. It could be something like that, especially with just how 2020 is gone right. and just the reality of mm-hmm. the filmmaking industry right now. Right, right. And, you know, I sort of compare... I, I, I really like art and paintings, and I, I go to art museums quite a bit. Um, and, like... The animated series are like impressionists. They're like Vincent Van Gogh, where it's like you watch it and it doesn't look like perfect, but like, yeah, this is this is Star Wars. Like I reckon it, yeah, this is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then Mandalorian is so beautifully detailed, it's like it's like a Rembrandt. It's like a Rembrandt, right? It's like a it's like a really perfect mm-hmm. painting. And if a if a bird doesn't look like a bird in a Vincent Van Gogh painting, you're like, oh, that's fine. It's a Vincent Van Gogh painting. It's supposed to be this way. But if a hand doesn't look like a hand perfectly in a Rembrandt, you're like, oh, what was what was he doing the day he painted this? What happened? Yeah, what um, happened? So a lot of my stuff with Mandalorian and the details gets really nitpicky, but that's because it's it's like a different level of fidelity. And that that's also why we see in the making episodes how their extraordinary use of technology and detail is what really set it apart. It's because they knew that they had they were going to have this layer of analysis and, and scrutiny under it. And they just knew that they had to make sure every fine point was exact. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with you there. I have one final question of things that I wanted to hit. And, and it goes back to the frog lady and, <laughs> and her husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, I don't think she's good. Do you the, think the that frog. she's secretly a, a... I I think that we could we could see something come up where she betrays mando in some form of capacity she's she's just an innocent frog but but why is why does she need a non-registered transport to get to the planet that she's going because her eggs couldn't travel at light speed so but she could have hired i i think that you could have got found a registry or something especially with the new republic to escort because of a tattooing tattooing doesn't have any jurisdiction there (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you could you could argue, especially if you're gonna be flying through New Republic space. True. You could argue that you could have hired. Maybe she didn't have the money for it, but but I just think that these little details of unregistered flying and trying to keep a low profile. I I think that there's something more to this frog lady storyline than what we're seeing. I'm not so sure <laughs> about that, and my I I, I feel like it kind of got tied up with a little nice bow. The the whole thing with baby yoda and the frog people and the eggs and everything it's like um so at the beginning of the last episode baby yoda and and or the child rather and mando get ambushed by these bandits and he trades his jetpack and you guys have discussed this but you know Mm -hmm. he's like here you can have this jetpack and the guy runs off with it and then mando you know kills him basically with the jetpack and baby yoda watches this Mm -hmm. we've seen in season one that baby yoda watches what mando does and internalizes it he sees him cook a stormtrooper and then he uses force choke, right? So it's, you know, medium rare stormtrooper translates into angry baby Yoda, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we see, you know, he sees his father figure deceive this guy into death. 
And then every time in the next episode or the following episode that Mando says, hey, don't eat the eggs, Baby Yoda is basically like, sure. And then he does. And then he yeah. he's like, don't wander off. And he's like, sure. And then he does. And there's all the spiders. And so it's like a little teaching moment for him that, you know, lying is for the grownups. And, you know, deception is something that you need to have more of a handle on. And it's it's just a nice little arc. And I think that that got tied up with a nice, neat little bow when he was looking at the eggs and didn't eat it at the end when it hatched. You know, I'm all for a good b- betrayal. I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. I think if, if she was going to betray him, they would not have written in that scene on the ice planet where she talks through the droid. Mm-hmm. Cause that humanized the character a little bit. And I, I don't know. I don't know what they would do after that. Good point. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see though. I am, I, I'm just cautious about the character. I don't know if she will betray, but I, I'm cautious that maybe there's an ordeal ordeal because that cloaked lady, whoever she was, saw Mando with her, could potentially pressure that lady into you know discussing these whereabouts um, or or something along those lines. I just could see where maybe she's a pawn or something. I can I can see that for sure. Now, talking about Chekhov's gun, we we've we've established that the eggs are more important to her than basically anything else, mm-hmm. except perhaps a hot bath um, uh, <laughs> in the last episode. But the eggs are more important to her than anything else. They're, she's the last of her species. And so that gives, if someone wanted to pressure her, like you said, that gives them leverage, you know, so that might come back. Yeah. Why, if the eggs are so important, why'd she leave it in the, the storage hold with baby Yoda <laughs> unattended uh, when she could have just put in like the backseat of the, of the cockpit? I don't know, man. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yes. I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Josh, oh, and any any closing thoughts, you two? Any closing I thoughts? Was, I was hoping we could stretch this for five more minutes and our commentary would be longer than the actual episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say that Baby Yoda getting almost eaten by that monster and then the uh, Mandalorian went down to shoot it. That was a little, little frightening. I knew Baby Yoda would survive, you know, of course, since yeah. he's got some leverage being one of the main characters. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, a, it was just like that scene, that cinematic scene where the, uh, where they hit the carriage with the staff and it goes in. Like that was just like, I don't know. I didn't expect that. So that was my last. That's my last <laughs> thoughts on the episode. I, I think my, my summarizing thought is that. We're doing a great job of raising complexity. And when we meet Ahsoka, possibly at the earliest, at the end of the next episode, but probably later, I want to see the stakes raised as well in this series. That's, that's you know, everything else is kind of nitpicky, but that's my main thing. I want to see the stakes go up as well as the complexity. So I, I can see where this entire series is heading, and that's going to be reestablishing Mandalore under Mandalorian rule. I think that that's where we're heading with this series. Well, that's what the dark saber does, my dude. So that's what the dark saber does, and that's where we're headed. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I told Matt I want Bo Katan to uh, to teach Bob Gideon a lesson, <laughs> to put it nicely. <laughs> yeah. I I'm gonna go. I I will make one prediction, and I'm I'm gonna leave it at this f- for everyone out there. I think Bo Katan's gonna die at the hands of Moff Gideon. Don't do I that do. to me. Don't do that. I think that I think we could see it here's 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 another thing and i just had this thought so again this is like the 18th time that i've used the phrase Chekhov's gun but you've you've introduced a weapon 
that mm-hmm. duels with lightsabers and you're introducing Jedi. I don't think, unless we do some more development, that it makes sense for Ahsoka to attack Moff Gideon, unless you know there's you know a lot more a lot more things to come in the next four or five episodes. But there will at some point, this is my prediction, there will at some point be a clash between someone wielding the Darksaber and someone wielding a lightsaber. Because you've introduced both things. Why not? It, it doesn't make any, any writing sense for that. Not Luke Skywalker comes out of nowhere. Oh. <laughs> yep. Josh, let it go. <laughs> but anyhow, Nate, thank you so much for uh, coming out to the episode today. We will be well, having you, you back for the remainder. What are you talking remain- about? This is, this is my show. You're my guests. Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. But as Nate did just say, he will be joining us for the remainder of the Mandalorian specials through the end of this season. Uh, and we're very honored to have him be a part of it. Yeah, we are. Oh, yes. Yeah. I read one book on uh, literary, like, you know, TV writing. And now I'm, I'm an expert because I know the phrase Chekhov's gun. And I, I can come back for more. So uh, <laughs> you're just ever, ever the whole next episode is just going to be you talking about Chekhov's gun again in some <laughs> capacity. No, I'll, I'll come up with some okay, other phrase. Okay. <laughs> You can. You, I'll guarantee you one more thing. If if Bo Katan shows up again, I'm gonna talk about Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> more, but, uh, That's fair. Yeah, I, res- I respect that. But until then, make sure to check us out on social medias at Wanna Be Jedi Cast on Twitter and at Wanna Be Jedi Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure to go check out the website. Uh, Josh has been hard at work at customizing it a little bit more. Wanna Be yeah. Jedi Podcast dot com. And make sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you listen through there. And also tune in to our next episode on Darth Nihilus. Yes, the the world eater. The oh, world eater. Darth Nihilus. Yeah. Guys, like 55 more seconds. All right, <laughs> let, let's fill it here. Um, and also check out our past episode with Matt's wife, Beth, on Agent Callus. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that was... That was a good one. I like. I enjoyed that a lot. I still love Agent Callus. Maybe we'll see him. Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll see him in, in Mandalorian. They're they're That's bringing true. back everyone. I would, that. I would enjoy that as well. But anyhow, until then, take care, everyone, and we will see you guys all on Wednesday. May the force be with you all. <laughs>